The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. We're glad you're here today. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. Happy 2024. We made it into a new year and to celebrate... All of you being here on the first year of the Sunday, uh, uh, the first Sunday of the year, I'm going to sing you a special. Yeah, you picked a good Sunday to come. You ready? <laughs> well, you put your right arm in, you take your right arm out, you put your right arm in, and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey, and you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. You put your left arm in, you take your left arm out. You put your left arm in and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. You're welcome. Absolutely ridiculous. Took a lot of courage to do that this morning. However, I'm convinced if I would have continued on and invited you to join me, 80 to 90% of you would have done the hokey pokey on a Sunday morning. But I'm glad we did not do that. <laughs> Genesis chapter 19 is a story about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And a lot of times um, it's a passage used in the Bible to specifically target um, the sin of homosexuality. And that certainly is a sin that was going on in these cities. But it wasn't the only sin that was going on in these cities. There was all kinds of sin going on. These people were loaded with pride, had forgotten, were not thinking about the things of God at all. It was a very pagan society, and it was broken. And one of the ways it did, the sin played itself out, was in homosexuality. But certainly there would have been the sin of adultery and all kinds of promiscuity going on and cheating and just using people for your own um, selfish desires as opposed to thinking about um, the creator of the universe. And so as we look at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the interesting thing about it is, is that it is, a, it is a forecast of the coming judgment on all mankind. And so it, it certainly is an event that happened historically, just like Abraham is a person who lived historically and he has his own life details. We can see also things in his life that are about the covenant that we too can experience with God as we walk in relationship with him. Last week, we discovered what it looks like to be friends with God. And I tried to describe to you that you can be best friends with God. Your best friend in the whole world can be Jesus. And that's really how I live. Nobody knows me better than him. And it's uh, such a joy uh, to walk with him in that capacity. Well, as we look at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, it shows how, what, it, what our lives are like when we actually know Jesus and we're not best friends with him, what we're vulnerable to. Um, Lot is a, a picture of an illustration of a person living a hokey pokey life. Like he was, he was part of the kingdom of God, yet he did not live according to the things of the kingdom of God. And because of that, 
um, is a very broken life. And so when we look at Sodom and Gomorrah, we see a picture where God comes first and he interacts and he's making an announcement about the judgment. He does that with Abraham and then the judgment takes place on these cities. Well, um, right now we're in a phase in the uh, uh, age of, of the kingdom where the church and the gospel is going forth and it, a lot of the preaching and teaching should be a warning about there's a coming judgment that Jesus will again return to the planet and judgment will fall on all of humanity. And so as we think about that, the apostle Peter writes about um, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he talks about God. He says in verse um, six and eight, six through eight in second Peter chapter two, he says, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. And so Lot started doing the hokey pokey, man. Like he, he knew Abraham. He knew the God of Abraham. And the, the Bible describes him as a righteous person. And what do we know about that is when, when God shares his righteousness with us, that's the only way we can be righteous. And so he had some kind of a relationship with God. But because of the way he was choosing to live, where Abraham is becoming best friends with God, Abraham's stumbling um, he's making mistakes, but he's growing. He's progressing in his relationship with God, even to the point where he's having extended conversations and making intercession um, for this particular um, city and, and the righteous people that would live in it. We see that in Abraham. Lot is doing uh, the, the, the complete opposite. And he started living a hokey pokey life by first we see that he, the Bible, we learned this a few weeks ago, the first thing that he did when Abraham said, hey, we need to separate, he had been looking down towards Sodom. He, he put his left arm in when he started looking. And then it says that he went that way when they separated and he pitched his tent near Sodom. If you'd ask him at that time, why didn't you just move in onto the city? He would have said, oh, it's way too wicked for me to live in there. But then we see that he eventually has his whole self in and he's living inside of the city. And when this, um, uh, when we pick up in chapter 19 and these two angels come to the city, he's actually sitting at the gate. So he's not only living in the city, the city has now rewarded him as he is in relationship with the city of Sodom. And he has assumed a position of leadership, power, and influence that he's been rewarded for his decision making. And so we can see that as a picture of how the world will reward us when we start functioning in our relationships and building relationships that are worldly as opposed to focusing on our development in the kingdom. And we are all in danger of this. And just because you know Jesus and you've been born again doesn't mean that you are not in danger of developing relationships in your life that are unhealthy for you. And that's what Lot does. And so we're going to unpack it and we're going to see, um, I'm going to go through the story and then I'm going to give you um, some takeaways that I, I think are uh Serve, to hopefully serve as, as a, kind of a caution, a warning sign. Like, hey, man, if you're not careful, you're, you're becoming hokey pokey. And as ridiculous as your pastor was 
doing that song this morning, your life is more ridiculous if you're living that way because it doesn't add up to what you say you believe about who Jesus is and what he did for you and that he rose from the dead and he's returning to the planet and that you belong to him. And if you live according to the principles of the world, you're hokey pokey, man. So you can laugh at me all that you want, but I'm not hokey pokey in my spiritual life. And I don't want you to be either. And so it's good for us to look at this. Like last week, we look, oh man, I wanna be best friends like Abraham was. And I don't wanna be what Lot is like. And so let's unpack it. And then I'll give you the takeaways and we'll move on down the road. Here we go. It says the two angels arrived at Sodom. And remember right now, um, Abraham had been up talking with God, who we see that God was one of these beings that uh, appeared to Abraham in a theophany. He took on the form of, of flesh and he's interacting with Abraham. And he says, shall I hide from Abraham what's about to happen? And he starts sharing the secret things of, of his kingdom with Abraham because Abraham's walking in relationship with him. And it says the other two departed them while this was going on. And it says the two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting at the gateway of the city. And again, that's why how we know that he had assumed a, a position of leadership is because the gateway, uh, that was sort of where all the decisions were made in the city. If you had a seat there and you were uh, functioning there, you were uh, well-known in the city. And so when he saw them, he got up to meet them and he bowed down with his face to the ground. And he says, my lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. Very similar to what Abraham did when the, they all appeared to him, but there are some differences. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. So he makes an invitation for them to come to his home and the angels say, no, we, we would prefer to spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. And he prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast and, and they ate. And before they had gone to bed, it says, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house and they called out to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. And Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them. But do not do anything to these men for they have come under the protection of my roof. A man starts living in foolish ways and he starts making foolish decisions. And we can see that here in Lot's life. He was not thinking like a person in the kingdom. Get out of our way, they replied. And then they, talking amongst themselves, say, this fellow came here as a foreigner and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. And they kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. And then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so that they could not find the door. And the two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-law or sons or daughters or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. 
And he said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here or you will be swept away when the city is punished. And when he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and they led them safely out of the city for the Lord was merciful to them. And as soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee, to, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, no, my lords, please, your servant has found favor in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here's a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. And he said to him, very well, I will grant this request to you. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but fl flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. And that is why the town was called Zoar. And by the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. And thus he overthrew, the, overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain. And he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. And so when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. And so Lot had made it out and he had asked to go to this other small place and they permitted. And so we read in the last section of this chapter, one of the saddest um, things and ugliest and most horrible things you will read in the Bible. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar, and they settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. And he and his two daughters lived in a cave. And one day the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old, and there's no man around here to give us children. As is the custom all over the earth, let's get our father drunk to uh, dr get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family line through our father. And that night they got their father to drink wine, and the older daughter went in and slept with him, and he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. And the next day the older daughter said to the younger, last night I slept with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight and you go in and sleep with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also. And the younger daughter went in and slept with him. And again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. And so both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son and she named him Moab, and he is the father of the Moabites of today. And the younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami, and he is the father of the Ammonites today. And that's the last thing the Bible records about Lot, unless someone is referring to him. 
It's a sad picture of where a man's life becomes and how broken it is. We look at these two daughters and the offspring of, uh, of this incestuous relationship are the Moabites and the Ammonites, and they become problems for the Israelites for the rest of time. Now, God does use some of them here and there. It's interesting to see the grace of God wrapped up in that, and I don't have time to unpack all of that, but, but to see just simply that there are consequences for living your life in such a way that go far beyond you could ever imagine. As a matter of fact, you think that when you live your life and compromise in certain ways, you're only impacting yourself and you have no idea how you're impacting your children. These children that were the offspring, his grandchildren became the problem of the promise that was made to his uncle whom he had departed with. And so he created problems generationally beyond that by the way that he lived his life and compromised as one who knew all about the covenant. And so sometimes we look at the church, and, and I don't mean just our local church specifically, but the church all over the world, sometimes it has conflict, sometimes it has problem. Some problems. Sometimes there are people in the church that cause problems for the body of Christ. Where did they come from? Someone's offspring. Someone produced those kids. There have been people that I've had to deal with over the last 30 years in ministry. Some of them have done ugly things. And you think, how could that happen? Those are someone's kids. Somebody produced those kids generationally that sometimes they just continue to cause problems in the church. Jesus said um, to let the tares grow up with the wheat. And so this is part of the problem in the kingdom when you're dealing with spiritual warfare. What I want you to hear from all of that is when you think that your decisions only impact you, you have no idea how you're changing things, even generationally. Now, Abraham, thank God we have someone to look at that followed God. He wasn't perfect, but he pursued a relationship with God. He was humble and he would swallow his pride and repent and continue to listen to God. And God developed him along the way. And we get a picture of what it looks like to be in fellowship with God and to be friends with God. And God takes and lays Lot right beside him, not only uh, to teach us why there are so many problems in the world, but to teach us what we can avoid as people of the kingdom who are in relationship with Jesus, ways not to live in order that we don't fall into the same trap that he fall, fell into and cause a lot of grief in our lives. And so we look at this and we go, man, this, a lot of this doesn't seem real relevant to me. I think you'll be surprised to see it's extremely relevant. And all of us are struggling with it. And you're either on the right side of the equation where you're seeing God pour out his favor and blessing on your life and you're trusting him, or you are on the wrong side of the equation and you are jeopardizing all of the blessings of the kingdom for you. Um, the Bible talks about um, in the future coming judgment, and it is a judgment to all believers. It's not a judgment about salvation. Paul talks about it, and he says that when uh, that judgment happens and we are before the great beam of seat of Christ, that God, Christ, he, he will look at the believer, and as he looks at the believer uh, and judges our lives with all that he's given us as his children, and that he is raised up from the death of sin to live um, and have his spirit indwell us, there will be a judgment for us. And it's not the same judgment as all of the world that will be judged whether or not you spend eternity with Christ. It is a judgment of the believer. And he says, when that judgment happens, that all that we've invested in our lives that is eternal and it has to do with the kingdom, that it is gold, silver, and precious stone. And so when the fire of Christ hits it, it just comes out more radiant. It shines brighter and more brilliant. It is refined by Christ. But then it talks about there's 
wood, hay, and stubble, right? And it says it will be burned up. It won't pass through the fire. And so we look at that and go, man, there are some things we are investing our lives in, hopefully, that are the gold, silver, and precious stone. And, and we go, man, that, that, that stuff is going to make it through. And, and there, there is some type of reward system. I can't explain it all to you or how it will function. Um, and it's not really why I serve the Lord, but I'm encouraged sometimes when I look at the sacrifices that I'm making that I know people that are in the world that aren't making. And I go, boy, if, if, I, if I wasn't a follower of Jesus, then I would have this. Um, for instance, a, a good percentage of my income would stay under my charge if I wasn't following Christ in obedience. And I go, I could have more stuff. But then I'm reminded, well, wait a minute, this is gold, silver, and precious stone. Uh, a lot of times I look and I go, well, I could do some things. If I'd compromise here, I could probably get ahead in this. But then I go, I can't do that. I've got to be obedient to Christ. And, and I look and say, well, that guy over there is not being obedient to Christ. Well, I have to be reminded that I'm investing in gold, silver, precious stone, and these things will pass through the uh, refining fire of Christ as he makes a judgment on my life as a believer. And so we, we think about that. I'm reminded of the song. There's a song, uh, um, I think it's called The Lumber Song. You should look it up. It talks, it's a, kind of a, a song that tells a story about a guy who goes to heaven and the angel is walking him through heaven, man. And he, he's looking at all these mansions and they're amazing. And, and like the angel's showing him through and he's like, oh, like I just see all these incredible structures. And he gets to this little shack, man. And, and uh, the guy goes, the, the, the angel says to him, that's yours. And he goes, what? He's like, what about this? And the angel says, well, that's all the lumber you sent, bro. That's all I could build. Like, that's all we could build because you were so focused on the things of the world that that's where you're going to live eternally. And so like we look at that, and again, I don't think that should be something that motivates us that we follow Jesus to try to get something, but I think it's something that we should be reminded of is that the Bible teaches um, that there will be a rewards in, uh, eternally um, for, for us. And, and again, not only that, it makes a huge difference for our lives here on this side of eternity. And so Lot is a picture of a guy who is living and only has wood, hay, and stubble. Everything is burned up in his life, and he gets out, but he's smoking, man. Like, he's smoking. He barely made it. And one of the reasons he made it is because of this um, uh, relationship that he has with Abraham is interceding on his behalf. And so we see so many different pictures in the Bible, but as we unpack this and go, well, how does this apply to my life? As I look at, at Lot beyond what you, you've talked about, about this judgment, how do, how do I use this to make decisions about how I'm going to live this week? Well, I'm going to lay this over a filter of like relationships, mainly friendships is how I'll address it, but it could be in your business, like maybe you start a business and you begin to hire people and, and the people that you bring around you, especially a, a executive leaders in your, your business, if you have a business, is like, what kind of people are around you that you're, you're doing life with? If you are entering into business agreements with people, um, if you're um, a young person and you're, you're in high school or even younger, middle school, and you're looking at your relationships and, and who you're deepening those relationships with, if you're you know, beyond high school age, you're a young adult, who are you spending your time with? How are you developing deep relationships and what do those people look like? And, and that never changes for any of us. 
And so we look at that and we go, um, there's some, there some uh, consequences that we see Lot compromised on and it caused him a lot of problems. And here's the first thing I notice: If most of your friends live in Sodom, your, your friendship with Jesus is suffering. So if you look around and go, here's my friends, here, here's who I spend my time with, here's who I work with, um, here's who I go to school with, here's who I hang out with. If most of those people are from Sodom, your life with Jesus is suffering. Now, by, by saying that, what I mean is they aren't thinking about the things of the kingdom. They aren't thinking about how do I yield myself to Christ? How do I honor Christ with my life? How do I um, bring glory to him? How do I yield to him? How do I grow in my uh, faith? How do I grow in the fruit of the spirit where the Lord is putting more joy and more peace and more kindness and more gentleness in me? That's what a person of the kingdom looks like. That person is like Abraham living up on Mount Mamre and people in Sodom aren't thinking about that at all. And we're interacting with people like that all the time. So I'm not saying that we don't have any relationships with them. That's not what I'm saying. We're going to have relationships with them. We need to have relationships with them. We need to be helping some of them come out of Sodom. But the problem is, is a lot of us are trying to say, well, I'm trying to reach my friends and I'm being like a missionary, but you have so many friends that are from Sodom that you have become a missionee, not a missionary. You're not getting people out of Sodom. Sodom is getting in you. And that's what happened a lot. And we see him and what, what God sends two angels to him. Watch what happens when he sends the two angels to him. He sends them to the city. Lot recognizes them. He invites them into his home. They finally gets them to agree and they come just like they went to Abraham. But Lot is so distracted by the desires of his friends, he can't host his guests. His friends are keeping him from enjoying divine fellowship because he's trying to hide them, the angels, from his friends. What does he do when he goes outside? He says, friends. And so he's in relationship with these people. And that is exactly what happens when you aren't intentional with your relationships. If you aren't intentional with your relationships, you're making sure that you have some good, close, intimate uh, friendships around you of people who are drawing you to Mount Mamre and helping you live there instead of living down in Sodom. If you don't heavily tilt the scale in that direction, then the people who are in Sodom in your life are going to tilt you away from it. Like, we see it happen over and over in the scriptures. And so how, that's why Jesus said, I'm going to build a church, a gathering of people that is so great that hell won't stop it. Hell will constantly be trying to stop you. But if you surround yourself with people who are of the kingdom and people who want to live on Mount Mamre, believing that God will supply all of our provisions and needs and help us and bless us, and that we don't have to live down in Sodom and make a way for ourselves because God is concerned about those things because we belong to him, then all of a sudden we're tilting the scale the other way. And now instead of it being too heavily tilted towards Sodom, we're tilting it toward Mamre and we're able to pull people out of Sodom that really do want to leave Sodom. There are some people who want to leave Sodom. They just don't know it yet. And if we move into Sodom and all of our relationships are tilted the other way where they're more heavily Sodom, not only are they not coming out of Sodom, we're barely going to get out. We're going to be like the guy smoking. And if you look at Lot's life, when we see at the end of it, he dies living in a hole in a rock. 
by himself committing incest with his daughters after they get him drunk. Sounds like a great life to me. Right? Like that's, that's the reality of what God is saying to us. That if you aren't careful, you will find yourself being the victim of your own decisions because you aren't intentional with your relationships. That's why the Lord gave us the church. That's why we do church. That's why we come in for the edification of the body. I preach and teach from the word and try to help you to hear from what the word of God wants to say to you. But then we do other things. There are a lot of cool things going on this month. Some of you guys are going, well, you know, I don't really have any friends that are concerned about the kingdom. They don't think about the kingdom at all. They just think about all kinds of other things, their own kingdom. So how do I develop those relationships? Well, the the men's ministry has a beast feast coming up on the 27th. Come on, man, a beast feast? You say, well, I don't hunt. I wouldn't have anything to bring. You just stop and pick up a raccoon on the side of the road. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Please do not do that. (laughs) You do not have to hunt to come to this. It's more about hanging out with with bros and and developing relationships. So women, uh, there's a new Bible study going on. Um, uh, The youth just had a lock-in. And sometimes you feel like, I don't want to go to that. Some of you young people will tell your parents, I don't want to go to that. Why don't you want to go with that? Well, because none of my friends want to go to that. Why don't they want to go to that? Because they live in Sodom. And you're trying to live differently. And that's the very reason why you need to go to it, even if they don't go to it. You see? And like, we look and we got to be intentional because if we are unintentional, if you're living unintentionally, you will not have any friends who are trying to stay and live on Mount Mamre. You will just end up with friends who live in Sodom. They're everywhere. It's very unique to find a peculiar person who wants to live on top of the mountain. And when you find one, you need to develop a relationship with one and develop as many relationships with as many of them as you possibly can because by default, you're going to make relationships with Sodom. Just like by default, if you don't watch what you eat and watch how much you work out, you are going to get fat. That's just the way it is, man. Like, I know I have not been watching what I've been eating and how much I've been active the last couple of weeks, and I guarantee it, I feel the five pounds. That's why I wore a baggy shirt today, right? (laughs) And so I got to get intentional with that, or it's going to get out of hand, and I'm going to be really uncomfortable. But I am more concerned about my spiritual development than I am my physical development, and some of you aren't. Some of you would never miss a day in the gym to save your life because you're worried about what people in Sodom think about you. But you're not worried about how you're developing in Jesus. And so you say it's too hard to read the Bible and pray. It's because you're thinking like Sodom, not thinking like a person who wants to live on Mount Mamre. And so we got we to go, wait a minute here. What am I doing with my life? Here's the second thing. When your friends live in Sodom, they don't care about you. They don't care about you. Notice they didn't care about Lot. They didn't come and say, hey, Lot, I noticed you had some guests. You need any bread? You need, any, uh, you need some honey to go with the bread? Lot, how can we help you entertain your guests? No, Lot, who do you got behind there that we can bring out and please us? They didn't care anything about Lot whatsoever. When he said, don't do anything, he comes out and he's looking at them and he says, friends. He thought they were his friends. But when he got serious about the things of the kingdom and the divine, notice what they say. Who put you in charge? You're not even from here. Who do you think you are? Like, like if you don't get out of our way, we'll do worse to you than what we're going to do to them. 
And sometimes who you think are your friends are not really your friends. When he said, don't do anything, they say, move over or we'll do worse to you. You know what Lot was trying to protect? Divine fellowship with these two angelic beings. And they were trying to destroy it. They kept bringing pressure on him, it says. They were bringing pressure on him and pushing him up against the door. And he was trying to get them not to do it. Meanwhile, in our previous story, we look on Mount Mamre and and Abraham, when the angels and, and God show up, He goes in and he says, hey, let me bring some water for you to wash your feet. Uh, Let me make a meal for you. They say, go ahead. They don't say, no, we'd rather stay in the public square. They say, go ahead. And and then he runs in, he gets his wife, he gets his servant, he gets all these other people involved to help him. Lot doesn't do anything. He runs in, gets them in the house, shuts the door, throws some taquitos in the microwave and says, here you go, boys. Right? Totally different experience. Abraham standing, waiting on them as they're eating like a table waiter, just listening to what they have to say. Lot, on the other hand, because of his friends, had to go outside the door and couldn't enjoy the fellowship with the divine beings that showed up to bring him information. You see, a lot of times your friends will put pressure on you and they have no idea what they're destroying because they've never enjoyed fellowship like that. And when you start trying to tell them that you don't want to do those things and you try to pull yourself out, don't be surprised if they don't start looking at you and say, well, who are you? Like Mother Teresa now? You're a holy roller? What's gotten into you? You think you're better than us? Oh, you're going to go all Jesus on us now. You know what you need to say when somebody says something like that? You say, absolutely. What are you going to do? Go all Satan on us? Like, like we, you see, the enemy has us freaked out about what people in Sodom uh, will say and think about us. I could care less. They're broken. They don't have a relationship with the creator of the universe like I have. And what they need to see is a man or a woman thriving on Mamre so that their brokenness can be fixed. If they look at me and my brokenness is just like theirs and I'm not able to navigate through my brokenness with some victory, with some peace and some patience and some gentleness and some joy and some kindness, um, then what does the kingdom have to offer anybody? Well, what it has to offer everybody is redemption and restoration and all of the hope that Christ will bring to us. He is the hope of the world. And, and so as people living on Mount Mamre, man, we're looking and people in Sodom are able to look at our lives and, and find a way out. And if they don't, judgment is coming. You see, this seems so harsh. It's the same thing the New Testament says is going to happen to the planet. Just like Jesus has already come once, he's coming back a second time. And so your friends who want to live in Sodom, they don't care about you. They care about what you have. And so they kept bringing pressure on him. They were molesting his relationship with the divine. And they didn't know it, okay? So I want to point that out. It's not like they were evil and and they were intentionally, they didn't know that that's what was going on. They just were trying to please themselves. They're caught up in a broken culture. And that's what we have to recognize. That's why we have to be intentional with our relationships or we will suffer the consequences in the um, hopes of loving our friends that really only care about what we have. When most of your friends live in Sodom, your life becomes a joke. Like, do you have any more friends? Do you have any more kids or sons-in-law, any relatives lot in the town? 
Abraham's been up there praying on Mount Mamre for 10 righteous people that the city might be saved. Do you have anybody? Because we haven't found anybody, and I don't think there are. And, and, and so Lot's like, oh, I got to go talk to my sons-in-law. He's like, boys, listen, I know you're pledged to be married to my daughters, but here's the deal. Like, um, the God is going to destroy the city and we got to get out, me and, 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 and my daughters and, and the wife, we're, we're heading out of town right now. And they laugh at him. They thought he was joking. Lot had taught these guys nothing about the promise of the covenant. He couldn't get them to flee. Their salvation depended on his testimony, and it was so anemic, they laughed at him. What's your testimony look like today? Are you living on Mount Mamre, or does is Sodom just filled your heart, and there's nothing, there's nothing to look at your life and go, man, this guy, he really believes what he says he believes. Man, this girl, she really believes what she says she believes. I, I can see the conviction. She won't compromise like everybody else around me is compromising. And so when most of your friends live in Sodom, your life becomes a joke. When all of your friends live in Sodom, it's hard to follow the Lord. Like it becomes very difficult to follow Jesus when all of your friends um, live in Sodom. I know I tried when I was younger. It can't be done. This just can't be done, man. Your, your life does become a joke because there's nothing that adds up to what um, you say that you believe. When they told Lot to leave, what's the first thing he does? Hesitates. He just watched these two guys strike many of his friends with blindness who were trying to molest them. He, just, he had just observed a miracle from God, right? He just saw it just a few hours ago. And, and now they're telling him, we are about to destroy the city. And he hesitates. It's because it was hard for him to follow Jesus because there was no one around him that had been following the Lord with him. When they pointed to the mountains, which I think they were pointing to Mount Mamre, where he came from, go back to Abraham, man. Go back to where you came from. That guy will take care of you. He complained and asked for Zoar. There's a little town over here. Let me go to this town. I can't make it that far. You guys can strike people with blindness. You have the power of God running through your lives and you're telling me to do something that God wants me to do, yet I don't think I can do it because it just looks too hard. And so he's complaining. And so he asked to go to this, this town and the town becomes named Zoar. You know what Zoar means? Just little. Maybe if you just compromise a little bit. If we just compromise a little bit, maybe it's not that big a deal. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal because I think that's why Lot ultimately ends up living in a mountain by himself is because God knew he couldn't survive in Zoar because those people were going to come against him even greater because he's the only one that made it out alive from Sodom. You think people that lived in Zoar knew people that lived in Sodom? You think they knew Lot lived in Sodom? You think they knew the story about Lot? And it's like, why didn't you warn us? They didn't like Lot anymore because the way Lot lived and Lot wanted to settle there instead of where he was told to go. And because he didn't listen to God, he ends up in a different mountain, dying in a cave and producing offspring with his daughters while they get him drunk. And that brings us to the last takeaway. The longer you live in Sodom, the more life you lose. 
You just keep losing life on this side. You keep losing um, rewards on the other. And, and, and so Lot escaped judgment, but he died in a hole, man. Like, listen to the testimony of Lot. Like, if this was Lot's funeral, it's like, geez, man, not a good story. Not a good story. Um, what I would say to you, man, is like, as we looked last week, and I'm like, you know, we can be best friends with Jesus. All of hell is attacking that relationship. Like all of hell. And I know because as a young person, as I look back on my life, I think the Lord was calling me into ministry early in life. And, and I, uh, I, I, like at 15, I, I decided I was, I had been looking at Sodom. And I looked so close that I pitched my tent toward it. And ultimately, ultimately, I moved into Sodom. I knew the Lord, man. And I betrayed everything. And, and I, I, I walked and lived in Sodom for the next seven years doing the hokey pokey. Put your right arm in, take it out. Sometimes I'd go to church and I'd feel convicted and I'd feel guilty. And, and then I would go back and I'd get around my friends, man. And I would start living that, the way that I didn't want to live. And then ultimately, man, I found myself with everything stripped away in a place of heartbreak, asking myself, God, why could this happen? Like, how could, how could this happen to me in this situation when like, I just don't get it. And, and I don't understand how everything is spiraling out of control. And it seems like these people around me don't even care. He's like, yeah, that's the way I feel about you, bro. Like you're spiraling out of control and you don't care anything about me. And, and when, when, when the Lord said that to me, and I, I was like, Lord, you really do care about me, Lord. And, and he was like, man, I care about you, Jimmy, more than anything on the planet. I called you unto myself. I chose you. I called you out of the, uh, a, a foreign land when you was living in, uh, as a pagan, and I brought you unto myself. I cleansed you from all of your unrighteousness. I set you up as a child of mine. And when I look at you, I just want to see my glory. But you keep trying to live like a pig in slop, and it just doesn't work. And I was like, what am I doing with my life? And for the first time in my life, I had, to, I had to just really deal with, why am I living this way? If I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and I believe that Jesus is coming back, why am I putting Jesus on the back burner all the time? And, and, and so, man, I just nailed down a commitment to the Lord. I can remember surrendering to the Lord. And I said, I'm done, Lord. I am done. And I nailed down that commitment. And joy came and fell out of heaven and hit my heart like a, a, an explosion, man. I, I just started smiling. I couldn't, I, even when I talk about it, I start smiling because I've been smiling ever since. I've had my ups and downs and I, I've had my times where I've blew it like Abraham did, but I have learned to live on the mountain, man, and I have no desire to be a part of Sodom. And what frustrated me, man, my first, when, when, I, when I, I mean, within the first 30 days, like I, I, I opened the New Testament after that commitment. I read through the New Testament like five times in, in a month. I, like, and not all the gospels, but from, I'd read one gospel all the way through. I was like, I can't believe the Bible says all this stuff. Why didn't anybody tell me? 
Like I was so frustrated that nobody got in my face and said, man, you, you're an idiot. You say that you, you, you believe in Jesus and you don't live like you believe in Jesus at all. And man, and so when I, the more that I thought about that, the more angry that I became because I knew that I'd lost seven years of my life, that I wasn't living in this place of joy, this place of purpose, this place of meaning. And so I became so angry about that as I talked to the Lord about it. Cause I, I you know what I can remember about that period more than any? Anything else is all the regrets. I can't remember any of the good stuff. Like I know I had a lot of fun and I could tell you stories that are kind of funny, but the reality is the things that hit me more is I, I look back and go, well, what if? What if I had been following Jesus during this time? How many of my friends during high school may have came to the Lord? And I live with a regret of that, knowing that I was, I was specifically chosen by God. And because I chose to live in Sodom during that time, there are many of my friends that my testimony was a joke. And their salvation may have depended upon the way I was living at that point in time. So that's, that I look at that and I, I just told the Lord, it's like, Lord, I, I recognize that, but I'm not gonna let that define me. What I'm gonna do from this point forward is I'm gonna do double time. I'm gonna get twice as much life out of the next seven years. And I've been living that way ever since. And I think I'm getting quadruple, man. Like I just love life and the Lord is just leading me and helping me along in my journey. And so what I wanna encourage you to do is, 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 to, is to think about the relationships around you. Think about how you're living your life. And the big idea is don't be ridiculous. He says, some of you are like, I can't believe he's doing the hokey pokey. What, are you doing the hokey pokey with your life? Put your right arm in, take it out, shake it all about. If you keep doing it, eventually you're going to have the whole thing in there and you're going to be shaken. And the longer you stay in there, the more of your life you're going to lose. And so the Lord would say to you, man, like you are a prize of mine. You're chosen of mine a holy vessel, a peculiar people. I've called you to something higher. Go out there and reflect my light to a world who desperately needs it. Don't compromise. Don't, um, don't be defined by those who don't know anything about me. Get your head in the word. Let me teach you. Let me show you the ways of the kingdom. Let me put you on Mount Mamre and give you a life that you will never regret. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. We'll have communion this morning. The elements are in front of you. You've heard the word of the Lord. The Bible teaches us not to partake of communion in an unworthy manner. And so I would say like, if you're, if you're living and you look at your life, like as you pray and talk to the Lord, man, confess what needs to be confessed this morning. Just give it to the Lord. Just look where maybe you've put your right arm in and it needs to come out and ask the Lord to help you to take your whole self out. Surrender your whole self out of those things that are, are going to cause you to lose what is most precious to you. And then as you talk to the Lord and um, sit with him for a moment and you partake of that bread, partake of that juice, know that it is, it is, it is that sacrifice he has made that has placed you into the position of royalty the priesthood of the believer, a royal priesthood being able to 
commune with God. There will be some people up here at the front to pray with you if you need specific prayer in your life. But at this time, as we enter into worship, make sure that you are meeting and communing with Christ this morning. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.